hello, how do, out there, welcome to the inaugural, 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 girl. It's not a nice word to say that, is it? Got a syllable too many. Edition inaugural. of Required Reading, a movie podcast. Welcome, if you are listening. We have decided to do a podcast based on the theory... Or podcast, if you're from the Midlands, like me. Pod, podcast. Mm. About the idea of watching a film and trying to capture that feeling of when you've just... When you've just watched it, you're forming your opinion and your brain is a big swell of, did I like it? Didn't I like it? What did I like about it? And that It's a moment when you've watched a film, in, especially in the cinema, not so much at home, but when you watch a film in the cinema and you sort of, you're with a loved one or your friends or whatever and you look over at them, don't you? And you, you kind of go, yeah, it's good. Because you all know that you're saving the, the sort of, the, the actual appraisal of it until you head out into the street or on, into the pub or the restaurant or whatever you end up doing afterwards. I guess it's trying to convey that sensation in, in podcast cast form. To the cinema as much, maybe, as you used to. So now things coming out on Netflix or Amazon Video or, these, you know, they become like the new releases and maybe you don't even catch something at the cinema or you're waiting for it to kind of come round on your chosen service. So I thought that in your life eventually there becomes a a different way of consuming films as well so I thought maybe about trying to look at that too yeah it's a lot more it's a lot more challenging to curate your viewing as well because you're a lot more sort of beholden to all of these external factors and that also affects your choice of film as well you tend to go for what I'd call an easy watch a lot of the time especially when you're at home with a girlfriend or wife boyfriend whatever you yeah, there's. I don't know about you, Alex, but in my household, there's often a sort of struggle, which is tantamount to going into ye old video shop, yeah, browsing the shelves and really sort of making your call based on the cover. But now it's sort of also affected by one half. In my case, in anyway, one half of us being very invested in reading up on cinema and discovering more about film and catching these sort of reviews of curios and, uh, you know, independent films, stuff that's off the mainstream circuit that catches your eye and you sort of make a mental note to check that out. And and then it sort of disappears into the ether and then suddenly you see it on Netflix or Amazon and, and you're sort of like, oh, I remember something about this. I heard this was good. I think we should watch this. And then the other half's a bit like... I don't know anything about this. Can we just watch Transformers Five instead? <laughs> well, there, there is like a for the ne- record, my wife has never suggested that we watch Transformers Five. There is like this sort of nebulous atmosphere out there, though, with movies <coughs> where now there's there's never been a shorter distance between a movie being released and appearing on some kind of service. In some cases, so, literally no lead time at all. Well, Amazon Videos had so many like Tony Erdman went straight to mm-hmm. went straight to the service. I think but, the uh, was it a sort was that recent one the Cell Block ninety nine from the, the Bone Tomahawk guy. The app the um the Handmaiden went almost immediately mm-hmm. to to um, mm-hmm. Amazon Video. So again. I kind of like the idea of that maybe you're coming at these movies 
in a different sphere to the hype train. Yeah. Like you're coming at it at a side when you maybe you're ready for it rather than when you're being told or it's been sort of rammed down your throat for whatever reason. Yes. But anyway, um, I, I, I thought I would run through our manifesto. Well, I was going to point out one thing before you do that. Yeah. And that's to say that I think in a way how we've been talking about the show so far has almost set it up as if it's a recommendation show, but that's not the point. The point is uh, is that we're encouraging you to watch things before the fact. The idea is is we're not conveying that sense of walking out of the cinema and having a chat and you're listening in and you go, oh, that sounds like a film I want to see, which means we have to be cagey about the details. And this will come up in the manifesto as well. But it's it's more to say... Join us, watch it at your leisure, but feel free to you know feed in feed in with that. So let Alex outline the manifesto, which will make this more abundantly clear. Yeah, one hundred percent. People listening at home are uh, can be as involved as as we are yeah. really. But yeah, so the manifesto, uh, as as it were, the um, all main discussion films that we're going to choose come from either Netflix or Amazon Video. Mm-hmm. Touched on it already. I think they're the kind of ones, I think, the lowest barrier to entry. I think that Netflix, for the most part, let's be honest, we you either have it or have access to somebody's account at yeah. this point for, for watching Stranger Things or whatever the zeitgeist is, is uh, at that particular time. So we'll, we'll concentrate on Alter those. carbon, mate. Keep up. And Auto Carbon, sorry, pardon me. And um, Amazon Video, which is so many people have Prime now these days and and then have Amazon Video as, as a sort of side, maybe a secondary mm-hmm. service. And there is... And I would argue at the moment, as the stronger of the film offerings with Netflix so committed to its own output, Amazon to a lesser extent, but I, I tend to find that there's more I pick out on Amazon that's interesting. Yep, yep, and they'll definitely uh, they'll definitely make a uh, an appearance in the choice. So that's point one. Um, so we'll let you know. We'll commit to letting you know via at Mr Pointy Head and at Alex Alex Alex, which is A L X three times, no E. Uh, so you'll have the time to watch it. So if you join in, we thought we wouldn't create another Twitter account. Uh, what do we know? The world needs another Twitter account. <laughs> um, so we'll just use our own ones. Uh, so if you follow one of those, that's uh, at Mr. Pointyhead. And if you don't follow either, this is your excuse to. Your excuse to. And, uh, and congratulations uh, on discovering the podcast without that, by the way. <laughs> it would have been basically impossible. Mm. Um, or at Alex, Alex, Alex. Uh, um, Alex three times without the E. Um, and uh, so yeah so you have time um, share your thoughts and questions uh, we're going to discuss that um, obviously being the first one we are an unknown entity so that's fine uh, I've got some uh, did, got yes. some replacements thanks uh, for all the likes thanks for all the likes um, and, <laughs> he said uh, passive aggressively <laughs> <laughs> tell us what you thought, the ideally, what would be great is people know what film it is we're watching. You watch it too. Let us know what you thought. Maybe suggest some films that branch off yeah. uh, as, as, as basically on the film. Uh, Thoughts and questions is interesting as well because I think it's good for people to just share their feelings but also to sort of provoke uh, discussion among us too as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and then... F- uh, related feel free to discuss what our next film will be you know the criteria netflix or, or amazon video and uh, tell us why you chose it and uh, and we uh, shall certainly and put I, it in the bowl ideally something that's not completely ubiquitous already as well as we say these are a uh, 
both a gold mine of uh, curios and the sort of underappreciated in the mainstream box office films. And to be honest, this show is as much about giving us an excuse to spend some time watching these films that we've sort of, I guess, maybe umdenard over in the past. So this is as much Absolutely. this is as much motivation for you to go out and watch these films that you might have sort of been on the fence about uh, as much as it is for us really um absolutely and uh last is discussion will be a thorough um so make sure that you watch before you listen this this conversation hereafter is about the movie L it's available on Netflix and we will be discussing the movie in full uh spoilers and I hesitate to use the word spoilers because we fully said that you need to watch it before we start talking. It's, so it's not it's, a spoiler. It's required it's, reading. It's, required. it's not suggested. Yes. So, um, so there you go. We'll make sure to uh, watch. Have a little pause. You know, our our devices these days are wonderful at um, pause and pick up. So just uh, pause and go and watch the movie. Don't forget that you can download these films these days Absolutely. as well onto your mobile phones. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, not the optimal way of viewing it. I'm sure most filmmakers would be aghast to discover that you're watching their amazing vision on a four-inch screen during the commute, but it's it's a very convenient time to watch films, to be fair. But yeah, we are, um, we are reviewing uh, L came out um, 2016, um, uh, two hours, ten minutes running time, mm-hmm. um, which we'll talk about in, in, in the minute. And, uh, what, the uh, running time? The running time, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All running to, well, you know about how whether you think it can be sure to that kind of thing. Oh, I see. Is again, I'll be. I will previously set out. I am a fan of the ninety-minute movie. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, films uh, can be it's too long. Form. You know, and uh, getting it, getting it all done in a, in an hour and a half is. Uh, and so L has failed on one uh, one of those <laughs> criteria, but never mind. Um, uh, I think that it. Um, this is a lot more fascistic than I was anticipating. Well, you know, um, He's actually drawn a, a cross <laughs> and, um, in a little notepad. I don't know what that's about. And then a rating system. What well, I don't know what you thought. I haven't brought this up with you, but um, I was thinking. I've been deliberately kept in the dark about pretty much everything on this show. So I thought, in the name of spontaneity, why don't we um, for a rating system? Why don't we go to the Ebert system of um, thumbs. thumbs up and thumbs down? Okay. Or, or if we both give it a thumbs up, it's a double thumbs up. Okay. And, uh, you know, and predominantly it's a stacked deck. We're going to be choosing probably films that we want to watch. So, you know, the idea of getting into a full, like, five-star system, you're going to end up with similar... I'm, I'm very ambivalent about ratings anyway, and I, I generally think of a show of this format, you know, with the, with the written word, someone can skip to the end and see the score and then not read someone's hard-crafted words... Uh, but I'm hoping with a podcast of this ilk, by the end of it, it should be abundantly clear whether our thumbs are skyward or the, hellbound on the up or on or on the down. Um, so yeah, so that was that was that. And um, oh, I was going to um, I was going to do one one other thing before we started. Okay, uh, one second. Uh, I'll probably edit a bit out. I'll probably edit a bit out. I'll probably edit a bit out. Probably a little bit out of the air once. 
Okay, as a surprise, a little record for our first thing. I was going to, um, and considering we are recording on uh, Ground Groundhog Day on uh, on February the twelfth, we are uh, second. I would give you uh, your Christmas present. Hey, thing. what's so, the date today? Second uh, of February. Second of February. So there you go. There is your. Uh, <gasps> Oh, that's rad! The uh, for the for the people listening, Dan has decided not to. Sorry, uh, uh, describe it. It is a framed. It's a beautiful uh, little framed image uh, of Link in Breath of the Wild garb, just gathering a what's the polite term? Fuck ton uh, of stuff on his back as as uh, it's basically a visual represent representation. Of how stacked your inventory gets in Breath of the Wild, but done in a really charming and beautifully coloured style, and it's limited edition as well. Junior, by the little pencil number in the bottom right. So thank you, Alex. That's so, yeah, amazing. So a little, a little side I'll hug tangent. you. I'll hug you later. A little side tangent of, uh, of um, if you if thank you, you will, if you will permit us. That's really good. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Um, and uh, yeah, so back to uh, the the matter in hand. Um, Dan, uh, what would you? Uh, what did you think of the movie L? Oh, is that how we're starting it? Yeah, that's a very broad question. L is, I guess it's. Um, this is this is post Showgirls Verhoeven, isn't it? This is. Um, I didn't watch the other one he did that was critically acclaimed. I believe it's called Black Book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not to be confused with the. Dylan and sitcom of the similar name, um, and I'd, I'd I'd kind of been put off watching this because I knew it was a form of rape based film, which is never a subject matter that screams. Watch me, watch me. Hey, I know what we should do. Yeah. this evening is watch a movie about rape. Yeah. Hey, babes in bed, let's watch the rape <laughs> film. Crack open some wine. And, uh, <laughs> so the um, to to uh, use a cheesy uh, um, mechanic, Netflix describes Elle as a um, a successful businesswoman who was brutally raped uses her own cunning and erotic imagination to track down her rapist without the help of police. When did she use her erotic imagination? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And again, it's the Netflix. Uh, the rule of Netflix is to kind of not really get the point of a movie across. Yes. In its description. Who so, writes these things? So this is a Dutch director um, directing a very, very French film. Extraordinarily French. Extraordinarily French. If there's just something about the... Attitude, Isabel Huppert, who plays the main character, her demeanour, her attitude, her response to the whole situation that befalls her um, is so resolutely French. Can Is there any other culture that could do a rom-com about a girl and her rapist? <laughs> And get away with it. Not only, not only, I only come up with the inappropriate idea. use of rom com. I think ever. But Am no. I wrong though? 
It's very blackly comic. I'd never describe it rom as rom com. com. Rom <coughs> Romblacom. There's not much rom in this com. They have a date. They go out to a party together. Yeah. They um have dinner together. Uh, she calls him when she has a uh, accident, road traffic accident. Yes, she turns to him to come. She there's definitely moments of she does turn to him you know, to come and help with um, the uh, wreckage. I'm glad you car. finished that sentence. Yes, and um, and there's definite moments where she seems to not uh, totally abhor him, which is a whether it qualifies as rom. Which is a problematic, or could have been problematic, could have been very problematic because there's very much a sense that that behaviour glorifies rape. In this film, we, I think the way I, I perceived it playing out, I think the thing it does very well to subvert is that you think the entire thing is going to be a rape mystery. I think is the best way to describe it. There are multiple suspects, there are red herrings mm-hmm. uh, and you kind of suspect that the film's going to play out until the villain reveals their hand at the end and it all sort of wraps up conventionally yeah. and, you know, receiving justice this L sort of dispenses with that at about the halfway point the rapist is revealed uh, it's her neighbour who I had in in my top two not in my top two. In my top five. Really? It did it really did a really good job of hiding who I thought it was. Um, I, I think the moment that he said, Oh, I saw the rapist in the bushes and yeah. he was doing this, I was like, wrong and Yeah. Wrong and Okay, cool. Yeah, well you're I'm definitely and this is something <laughs> that really will come up again and again. I am I think, you know, I hope well everyone thinks that they're not an idiot. I think oh, I'm not an idiot. Um and I'm very gullible when it comes to films, like twists and stuff. Right. Like, nearly always, I'm just like, whoa, I did not see that coming. And, and, and my wife, it would just be like, that was so obvious. <laughs> like, it's like, and so again, in this movie, I didn't, I didn't see that, that, that bit coming. I thought it was, I thought it was handled really well. But um, something I wanted to touch on quickly, it was all the men in her life, had like a role, a kind of a role reversal in that it was the people that were closest to her, like her son, the people that she was working with, treated her the worst. Yes. In terms of betraying her and double crossing her. Yeah. And the people who you expect to be treating her the worst, treat her the best, the ex-husband you expect to be full of hatred is mm, actually mm. the sweetest man. That's a good point. The rapist is when... The sweetest oh, man who was also responsible for domestic violence. Domestic though, violence. And But the thread of repeated violence throughout the main character's life is obviously an echo that goes... The attempt the to throughout. escape yeah. that, yes. Um, the... Um, you know, and the, even the rapist himself, outside of these of these violations, is actually very attentive and very, you know, in in the moments that he's playing with her. The first clue is it was a banker. I mean, it was a banker. Yeah, absolutely. Always the banks, bloody banks. Always, bloody banks. always, always the banks. There's a metaphor for you. What do you um? What's your uh? What's your feelings on Verhoeven? What yours? Your personal when you someone would say, oh, like you know, Paul the latest. You go Robocop. This is a this is a guy who's just got a real deft hand. He's proved it time and time again when he had his time in the sun 
with Hollywood was able to maintain his very sort of trademark blend of um, exploitation mm. um, from both a sexual and violent standpoint, mm. but sort of marry that with a message which, which sort of implied that there was something bubbling beneath the surface of a surface of that. He wasn't doing this stuff necessary for cheap thrills. If mm. you were going to do a surface reading of films like Starship Troopers and Robocop and Total Recall, you'd sort of treat them as the sort of schlocky films that they're presented as being. But in all of those cases, he's always there's always an element of satire. There's always an element of commentary that underlies them all and not in a way that you're sort of clutching at straws trying to find that mm. they're, they're very very obvious you know he was very sort of prescient with Robocop um, he had interesting things to say about the role of the the good guys and how propaganda and uh, perspective can make you completely um, oblivious to fascism. Starship Troopers is a film where you're basically cheering on the fascists. And there's a few notes throughout it, you know, where they mention the aliens only get pissed off because the humans invade and try to take over their fucking country. And it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, they're the invaders. They're the ones who are going into Poland, Mm. etc. You know. There's a really cool sort of the uniforms that they're all wearing, you realise by the end they are just Oh, Dookie like Houses in Gestapo yeah. outfit by the end. You know, yeah. it's, it becomes very... Sunken soft. black eyes. Yeah. And, you know. I don't know if I can say the same for Basic Instinct necessarily, um, which this film definitely has some thematic ties with, and that is in two regards. It's in theme mm. uh, of the film, the sort of psychosexual element, uh, and also in terms of the music. Yeah, definitively, yeah. Um, it's um, it's uh, Verhoeven for me is somebody who I think has kind of explored the idea of indulgence, self-indulgence, and the good and bad that comes from taking that to like a logical conclusion. Mm. So Robocop is like the the, the 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 police fantasy of being able to solve crime all the time and the the horrors that will ensue of that. Total Recall is about a man, a working man's thoughts of you know what he could be, you know, the leader of a resistance, you know, the, the daydreaming of, of a mm-hmm, man, mm-hmm. you know, and and throughout his films, you know, Showgirls is like the complete excessive, you know, very male's version of what you know sexiness is to the point where it's actually kind of almost repulsive at the end and I think that yeah. he that's intentional by him even though the film doesn't actually isn't successful in a lot of ways um in terms of not being good but in its tone of lifting you know the the, the curtain peering behind sexuality or the Las Vegas idea of the, the artifice yeah, of this yeah. sort of and yeah. and and sort of seeing well actually it's you know it's actually kind of you know kind of horrific you know really mm-hmm. you know and um this movie as well, I think it's, is it wrong to sort of say it's, there's a thread that can be taken from kind of like Taken, that kind of, you know, the idea of that Taken was the father's version of, you know, revenge and using his, you know, whatever tools he has to exact revenge 
then the Harry Brown was the kind of granddad's version of Taken and using his <coughs> old school kind of version of wreaking revenge. And this is kind of almost like the mother stroke turning grandmother version of Taken, the, the ultimate revenge version of that character. To an extent, but I mean, Taken was a film about Liam Neeson having lots of previous, you know, combat training and stuff and using that, whereas L is much more about someone who has lived through an absolutely horrific childhood mm. with people perceiving her as a psychopath as a result of her father's actions, which admirably in the film, I find, remain completely enigmatic. Mm. You have no reason why her father um, killed yeah. 27 people and the dogs, uh, but not the hamster. And a few cats. And a few cats, but not the hamster. Uh, which is one just beautiful example of how it wrings this sort of gallows humour out of the entire... I mean, this is a film almost completely built on gallows humour because it from almost the very first scene where you sort of... I believe the phrase is like in media res. So it goes in mid-rape, you know, first you hear it and then you see the end of it. Within minutes of that happening, she's ordering sushi. And there's just a little exchange, very casual exchange, which wouldn't be um, striking or comic in any other mm. um, context. But as someone who is sort of almost in shock from what's just happened, to then sort of be casually calling up a delivery and then just asking just benign questions about, oh, what, what's what's this type of role? What does that mean? Yeah. And just dealing with it matter-of-factly. Um, it it's one. It's it does. It makes you laugh, mm. and you think, "Oh, should should I be laughing?" Two, it does a very very quick, efficient job of telling you what you need to know about that character, like straight away. Like yeah. this is who she. This is who she is. She kind of goes through it with a sort of a, a stoicism, yeah, and just cracks on. Doesn't tell her son. Um. Just, just doesn't really give anything away in her face. There's a lot of, there's a lot of underlying subtlety in just her expression and mm. body language throughout throughout the film, which is which is fantastic. I think. I mean, her performance is amazing. Yeah, she's she's, she's almost really in every like, single. She carries the whole film. The stuff that the, the what she doesn't say is volumes of of the movie. You can read so much into what you know, each scene is almost has a double meaning just by her performance. And I think that is this. Uh, you know, genuinely is a, a real powerhouse performance by her. Going, going back to what we were saying about Vermin as well, it's it's very restrained as well. Mm. Even though it does have moments of violence and moments of extreme violence. sexual assault and eroticism, um, with but within that, it's showing one thing, but it keeps a lot of cards close to its chest. It doesn't. It chooses not to explain anything, really. <laughs> the more you think about it, even when she sort of confronts the rapist, and mm. this is this is after he's been found out after attempting a second assault. Mm. This is after no one else is responding to her call after she's crashed a car trying to avoid a stag. After he's, like, tended to her leg, mm. then she starts questioning him. Yeah. There's a weird degree of 
control and power that she exerts through that weirdly when she's at her most vulnerable mm. which I think is another brilliant sign of her character when she's at her most vulnerable she calls on the man yeah. who's seen her at her most you know vulnerable before yeah. or left her at her most vulnerable before and sort of entrusts her welfare yeah. and well-being to him but that, but that but that's the tie back to the Verhoeven thing it's 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 a self-indulgence of sort of extreme vulnerability and then but also using like her pain as a weapon in the same way yes. like the stuff that she's been through nothing is ever going to affect her as these things that happened to her when she was what 10 or something was what's the 10 years the thing you know and 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 that she's just got this kind of suit of armor on mm. and she almost seems to like test herself with like horror around her and horror is something I kind of thought came up again and again for me the idea of that there were a few situations where she was putting herself in she was staying when these things were happening and she was getting texts and stuff yeah. she was staying late at the office in a dark office she was going down into the basement with her rapist you know these things where it elicits that horror feeling of like what are you doing don't go outside don't you know go and do these things but well, she's know, provoking it yeah She's constantly provoking it. Um, yeah. And and I think another facet of that is in her work. Mm. Now, one thing I didn't know about this stepping in, and as anyone who knows me, you know, I know my games, I like my games. Turns out that she is the co-founder of a, of a games developer who I are working on a game that I hope to God doesn't exist. I think, <laughs> I think the game... That they're presenting sticks. Yeah. I think that is an actual game. I think it was on the, the PC at least, but it's actually quite a comic mm. adventure. Yeah, and then because it's for her, uh, they've injected these sort of additional scenes of like incredibly graphic sexual violence at her request. At her request, the, 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 her first scene professionally is her. After you know, and the audience knowing what she's been through, asking for more graphic depiction of rape, rape, yeah, in her in her professional work, and and not only for a more graphic depiction, but also for a more orgasmic response, yeah, to the the scene unfolding yeah. as well, which is this weird sort of hybrid of westernized RPG and Japanese tentacle hentai anime rape porn. Um, where the thing like literally fucks her brains mm. out, and you're like, okay, I, I'm starting to paint a picture, of yeah. Lady, you know, and you you can kind of see what she's doing, and I don't know if that's sort of channeling her lifetime of hardship into her art, her mm. art in this case being gaming, and it's in a way it's quite. It's quite admirable that that's the way that's the way they position her. It's a yeah. very sort of powerful head of a company who are it turns out presented their game to Activision. Yeah, let me tell you, they're not going to let that one through. <laughs> um, there's there's like a Last of Us poster. Yeah, up on the walls just to show PlayStation, show PlayStation branding, and it, it sort of treats the game side of it almost objectively, but at the same time. It does kind of play into the fear, you know. This is what a an aging director's perception of mm. video gaming is. Mm. It's and it's like every 
Daily Mail reader's worst nightmare of what a game is, which yeah. is funny because every time they show any actual game footage, it's this benign little troll just like hopping around yeah. a medieval landscape, and then it's like, and there's the scene where the lady gets yeah, yeah. raped by the tentacle creature. You're like, oh, okay. But it was it it, it was kind of interesting, <coughs> the sort of the you know the the woven idea of of gaming, and and it kind of made me think of kind of the use of gaming, and now that we're very firmly in an era where we know that video game movies like don't like do not work like mm. there's been so many repeated attempts you know you know assassin's creed was what two years ago now or mm-hmm. a year ago now and we just we know you can make a movie with a game that has a great story put one of the world's biggest actors in there and you still cannot make a game mm-hmm. uh, movie work the best video game films mm are the films that are about video games, mm-hmm. not based on video games. Yeah. So King of Kong. Yeah. Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Films like that, you know, where they're a sort of a they're sort of a, a supporting facet of the film because it's easier for the person making that film to feed their passion mm. for the subject matter into it rather than being sort of constrained by the license yeah. that they're dealing with at, at, well, they, at they, 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 they use gaming as a brushstroke. What do you think about sort of going back to the sort of the controversy of the movie? Do you think that L could be made this year and be as popular, considering everything that's happened in the sort of the film industry? I think it would do better if it came out this year, because I think. I think its message would resonate even yeah. more. Isabel Huppert in it is an incredibly strong, incredibly independent woman who faces hardship, and it's not a film where the rape sort of defines her or is mm. some sort of moment in her life that changes everything. Yeah, it doesn't, and that's really that's really an important message because I mean you, the one thing you said earlier was like the men in, in her life represent the people who are supposed to be close to her the ones who are shitter to her than the ones who mm. you think expect would be and I think that's true to life in many regards to be honest it's more the ones that take you for granted tend to be the ones that you know treat you dismissively yeah but if there's one thing that's pretty common through every male character in this film is that they're fucking idiots yeah there's something wrong with everyone in this film <laughs> Um, naturally we spoke about the sort of potential rogues gallery in this film the people that they hold up as suspects so she works at a game company as we've established and she's a bit of a hard ass and that means that she hasn't got the best reputation among her staff so there's one guy who fucking loves her and loves the attitude so again he was immediately your and the guy where you kind of go it's got to be him, doesn't it? Yeah. He's a bit too eager to help. He's got guns. He's got all this stuff. Uh, but he is also a bit of a, you know, he's a bit of a wuss. He's not the kind of guy that would burst into someone's house. Yeah. Uh, and be able to sort of tackle her to the ground and do do what he did. And there's, the, there's the more aggressive guy, isn't there? There's the more aggressive guy. Uh, and what's interesting about that is that, you know, you perceive someone who has strong professional opinions about something mm. and has a strong disagreement about the way something's done or a way a company's run and in this film 
your mind immediately goes, well, it's probably rapes then, hasn't he? No, no, they're, they're, they're two professionals working in a games company yeah. who are strong personalities who have disagreements, and that's just what happens. And that's it. If there was that dynamic, the boss was male, mm. you wouldn't for a second even entertain no. that thought. So there's there's a lot of conditioning, I think, that's been challenged in this film as well, mm-hmm. in the way that we, we treat the dynamic, especially in the workplace between men and women as well. They're, they're the two sort of prime ones. Then you've also got the idea that there may be just some other... Yeah, guy who you just don't see who's there, but they they do kind of set out all the you know potential culprits mm. uh, quite early on. You've got the guy um, who is her friend and business partner, and it would seem attempted lovers at one point uh, husband, who is just grotesquely middle aged, yeah, lech, like not a shred of fucking empathy, yeah, you know. A guy who just thinks he's doing her a favour by offering to wear a condom just because she's on a period, who basically tries to get a hand job in her office after she's actually told her and her ex husband and yeah. her friend at a dinner table that she was raped. He also kind of looks a bit like a pig himself, like he's kind of this bald, yeah. like, you know, pink guy, you know, that's just so obnoxious. Like, he's just stupid. Yeah. He's just like, he's a, a, a dick with a body, mm. I think, is the way his character is portrayed. Her ex-husband, sweet-natured, clearly had a lapse, hence mm. the split. It's quite funny. There's a there's a little conversation where she's genuinely upset that they've split because mm. she thinks of him very fondly, and he goes, "You left me." Mm. And she's like, "You you hit me." Yeah. That's really telling in a few lines. That's really telling about you know that what sort of a betrayal that is mm. when when something like that happens uh, in in a, in a relationship, and there are a lot of women out there who couldn't step away so readily I guess mm-hmm. from that experience and again that plays into her character and her zero bullshit mm. fucking attitude after what she's encountered and as we see a small snapshot of the fact that because she was painted in such a way in the way that the media covered her, her father's killing spree mm. People suspect that she's a psycho too. We talked yeah. about it during the film. We said, "Isn't isn't it a weird thing that when somebody's committed a crime, that in order to sort of express their their anger and their f- hatred of that person, mm. they don't go to the person who's either top themselves, you know, immediately after, or yeah. gone to prison, or is unavailable. Mm. So they go for the next available target, which is like an, a family member who's got literally fuck all to do with the crimes that they've committed." Yeah. And there's these sort of weary but very matter-of-fact conversations that take place throughout the film between her and her mother. Yeah. Um, The mother dynamic is, like, I can't think of a movie where (laughs) there is a a character that's gone into a coma that the main character has an argument with and actually has a go at. Well, it's twofold, isn't it? So her mother is this kind of, like... Reminded me of Liza Minnelli quite a lot. Yeah. Like a French Liza Minnelli, a sort of surgery-addled woman just trying to find a fucking shred of happiness in mm. her latter years, knowing full well that she's probably been off the market for a very long time because of her association with her husband. Yeah. As clearly a sexual relationship with a very young, toned man. Uh, and is under absolutely no pretense what the basis of that relationship is. Yeah. <laughs> and yet... 
you know, her daughter still can't kind of give her that. Yeah. Despite that she, she's a very flawed, very sexual person who is cheating, you know, from a moral mm. standpoint, hasn't got a leg to stand on yeah. based on the fact that, you know, she's an adulteress herself. Yeah. Um, and so the, 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 the dynamic, the, the bluntness with which she addresses her, her mother's dalliance is one source, one of the many sources of black humour in this film, as is her sudden stroke, yeah. coma and subsequent death all dealt with in very kind of funny ways. Yeah. Um, her suspicion that this is all an act. Yeah. Asking the doctor. That's who's amazing. After the doctor. so good. After the doctor's given a very detailed yeah. analysis of how this stroke. With like a CAT scan. And with like a, a full scan, like, yeah, every, you know, proof. Everything. Like, are you sure this isn't a wind up? Yeah. And then goes in and Can says. Can she be faking it? She thinks this is all a ruse to go and get, yeah. go and see her dying father yeah, yeah. who she's vowed never to see. She says a line about the aneurysm being a sort of a cruel joke or yeah. something like this. And then was it a betrayal? Is it a betrayal? Yeah, yeah, it's like a betrayal. And then when she, when the mother sort of passes away, the scene of her where she's trying to find just some place that has any meaning to scatter the ashes, but that ends up with her son, yeah, and his slightly deranged girlfriend, yeah. who's clearly had a child from his best mate. Yeah, the son's the son's called Vincent, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, his his uh, colleague at this like burger place, Omar, seems yeah. suspiciously keen to also be at the birth of the child, and he's just got all these like expressions, you know, he's, like peering over his shoulder and smiling at the kid. Who in um, Michelle, sorry, Isabel Hooper's character called Michelle, in her own words, is like two two shades darker than yeah. either him, Vincent, you or know, the mother. People just do nothing. Uh... Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) We've gone to the big screen. It is exactly that. It's that same tragic (laughs) dynamic of of people just doing nothing. Absolutely. Um, An an unwitting influence on uh, Earl, on Paul Verhoeven. And and so the sort of motherly Mm. resentment that Michelle has towards... uh, Vincent's girlfriend in this in this scene because all he's done is like forget a dummy for the baby just leads her to just go fuck it. Yeah. With her mother's ashes and just tip them out there and then. I was thinking about that maybe there's you know there's not enough like <coughs> ash, ash scenes. I was thinking like there's the Big Lebowski. I, th- I think because I th- it well that's it. I think I think ash scenes can only really go one of two ways, yeah. which is you're kind of expecting something always with those like uh, you know the the trope of it, of of, a, of an ash disposal scene. Yeah, you're expecting the wind to come and and and, and she even up, acknowledges you know. the wind. She even she acknowledges says, the wind. She says the so wind's that's picking the rule up. Of Big Lebowski, and is there is there a scene in Due Date um, with um, Zach Galifianakis? I have and, not uh, seen the film Due Date with um, with uh, Robert Downey Jr. It's the guy from that did The Hangover. Yeah, I've not seen that film. None of that sells oh, it to me. As someone who hates The Hangover, it's have you ever had ashes? Have you ever had to scatter ashes yourself? No, not not scattered ashes. Have you scattered ashes? I have participated in it. Yeah, at least twice. It's with a cat. Yeah, uh, once we. I wonder whether cat's ash and, and uh, human ashes, the same density. So I just took some in each hand and. <laughs> Is it I, the same? I found someone checked it was the same, uh, and the other time was my my nan, her second husband. She survived two husbands. Uh, he passed away, and she wanted to scatter the ashes around the the base of the tree in their garden. And I was wow. there for that. I was only in my teens, but. 
I think that what that scene conveys very well is the sort of absurdity of that particular point mm. yeah. because you are left with a tub of ashes yeah. that were your loved one but they're not anymore they're, mm. n- they're nothing they're yeah. like they're absolutely they it's a bunch of just useless carbon you can, um, you, can um, you can have yourself made into uh, crockery now, can't you? That's, I, yeah, I might okay. do that. I've, I think I signed up for Body Worlds. You know, Gunther von Hagen's. I was like, I signed up for it. Like, plastinate me, yeah. fuck it. I want to be muscles splayed, pretending I'm saving a goal or something. I'd be quite happy to do that. Pins in you. Because I'm, I'm not a spiritual person. And import- right. importantly, Michelle's character is not spiritual at yeah. all. There's a couple of lines that hint at either agnosticism or atheism yeah. throughout the film. Uh, which is she outright says it on on in the God conversation. Yes, the which is, which is offset or by it, no, the number of lives. Yes, that was it. Like there's nothing or whatever. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing else afterwards. Um, and so Patrick, aka neighbor, aka rapey, rapey man. Mm. Um, his wife is fiercely religious, yeah. and I think the film also has something to say about that level of devotion. Well, the final, the final t- chat between the final the exchange is very she strong. She says about the hope. She said, "At least I've got faith." And uh, thank you for giving him like, what he that needed. Would, I mean, that was a kicker. Was that so, was a kicker because it was like so she says a line about him being a, a nice man with yeah. a tortured soul. Yeah, and you're like, fair enough. That's the sort of slightly euphemistic way of saying that he was actually a fucking monster. Yeah, that it, it that sort of sanctimonious religious take on everything happens for a reason mm. the kind of bullshit I really can't abide um, I mean I'm, I'm totally on Michelle's side throughout this film with, with her yeah. attitude and you know she watches these sort of Catholic ceremonies and all this stuff um, but yeah then she follows that line with the with the kicker of yeah. saying she was aware mm. that he she was satisfying yeah. that which would imply not only was because there was obviously a brief spell where after she discovers he's the rapist, she sort of entertains it briefly. It's it, there's so much ambiguity, isn't it? You, you could even read that she knew all along. Well, I that's that's ultimately what I think that line. Yeah, is is that that's what he did, mm. he, and he had to find an outlet for it. Like yeah. he, they were childless. Yeah, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying they were childless, but it it it, it added to this whole idea that he couldn't be aroused, which he makes a point of. Yeah. Unless she is unwillingly, you know, having sex. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know why I, I wavered so much. <laughs> Plainly, what, what's what the, the character word? does having sex. Yes, that, and that's what he does. He does. He, he can only he can only get it up when she doesn't want him. Yes. When he's able to slap her around yeah. the face quite violently, and that which I, which I found quite. You know, distressing. It is distressing. I imagine it's this, I, I imagine it's a female view. It's even more distressing and horrific. At the start, I was quite relieved that you sort of you only really saw the aftermath of mm. it, and then she replays it in her head later yeah. on. So you sort of see the the whole ordeal, mm. and then you think you're going to see it again at one point, and yeah. she's actually having a fantasy where yeah. she just absolutely smashes his head in in a scene that's very reminiscent of her own game and the way that it's framed and the repetitious like almost like God of War style repetitive just beating of his head so there's like little spurts of yeah. blood and there's just a beautiful little smirk of satisfaction yeah. that passes her lips when it cuts back to her sort of having this fantasy 
murder scenario, and obviously a portent of yes, what happens at the of end. what of what's yeah, to come. What, what what happens? You know, he gets he gets boshed over the head, doesn't he? Yeah. At the end, but I mean, it it rings comedy out of the most unlikely places. There's also she. You know, goes to a shop and buys objects for self-defense—a small axe and uh, mm. and uh, some pepper spray. Yeah, um, and ends up seeing a car pulling up and a man hanging outside a house. So takes it upon herself to smash in the window, <laughs> blasting with pepper spray, yeah. very rapidly realizing that it's her ex-husband who's actually come round to keep an eye out for her, and make sure yeah. she's all right. Make sure she's all right. And I think in the most French scene ever, his eye is still sort of red yeah. from the uh, aftermath of the pepper spray and. Having his window smashed in, uh, it's just asked if he wants a glass of wine. And very yeah. sort of, as, we, 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 of course, yeah, a glass of wine will fix everything. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. It's like this wine, wine fixes all. to know why Paul Verhoeven was brought in to direct mm. a French film whether it was a film sort of of his I mean this, this is one thing I just want to point out in general about the podcast is like I deliberately went to this film not knowing anything mm. at all uh, and I think one thing we are victim of right now is o- over reading into things I'm certainly guilty of it and one thing I want to look forward to in future with this is not really knowing anything but I don't want it to come across as ignorance like I don't know who wrote the film mm. that's not what this is about it's not the element of it that matters so I don't know if Paul Verhoeven wrote it and thought I'm going to set this in France and it's got to be French or it was a French writer and decided to draft it in Paul Verhoeven to direct it yeah I'd be interested to know what the what the story is be behind its sort of in, inception in in mm. that regard because it's a it's a perfect marriage yeah it's an absolutely perfect marriage. I think it's it's definitely up there as one of Irvin's best films. To be fair, off the bat, certainly recent. Re- of his recent, absolutely. But no, I thought I thought it was fantastic. It's like I like I like to see someone who can make such blustery Hollywood fare mm. that still has uh, something to say, and then make something like this, which is just like you know this this isn't an adult film. It's an adult full full caps film it it deals with so many sort of subtleties of human behavior and mm. just the the strange the strange behaviors that we that we develop and the mm. way that we react to things and where we're supposed to be outraged where we're supposed to be horrified and mm. act on things that we sort of don't and we always act, act on things with a sort of numbness and sort of just go about our lives in order to sort of restore a degree of normality to what we do yeah which michelle's characters had to do her whole life is just try and act like everything's okay everything's normal but 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 the mechanic of the <coughs> of the movie itself makes you as the viewer uh a participant in the misunderstanding of the main character like we have seen these horrific things happen to her and our natural uh, reaction is well she needs to go to the police she needs to do these things yeah. you know she needs you know and then when her character doesn't do it and seems to accept it we go along on the ride with her but actually you know we're wrong you know it makes the viewer be wrong about how she should be reacting and 
throughout the film, every character misunderstands um, uh, Michelle. The movie is called Elle. She is never called Elle in the movie. It's no. like everything about the movie is misunderstanding the main character. They don't get her motivations. They don't get her reasoning behind. The mother doesn't understand her. The viewer doesn't understand her. We're taking her behaviour as, 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 as how we should be reacting. But, you know, <clears throat> actually, this film, its core is about, you know, the, you know, misunderstanding and misinterpretation. And just because the fact that somebody is covering something <coughs> up or has, you know, is seems blasé about it, seems to not affect them, doesn't mean that the act is any less mm. incredibly violent and, 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 and horrific. Because when it comes to it at the end of the movie, where suddenly she has this epiphany of like, no, I'm... I'm now going to tell everyone what you did. Like all of this means nothing. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm now going to go to the police as I should have done. Like she had, she suddenly clicks into this, you know, the common sense reaction to these, you know, things, and that's obviously leads into the, you know, the final part of, of the movie. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, what, what we haven't discussed is that what makes it difficult for her is that she's already attracted to this guy. She's been yeah. sort of admiring him from afar and deliberately. Mm makes him a greater part of her personal life. Yeah. Um, to the point that she's playing footsie under a table. Um, and when he's coming over to be helpful, she's the one who's trying to initiate some yeah. form of illicit sexual contact. And he's like, no, 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 I can't do this. And you think, depending on how you're thinking, you think, oh, he's just trying to be the good guy and trying mm. to show a bit of willpower. Yeah. But it turns out, no, it's just because that is not his way of getting turned on. Yeah. Um, necessary. It's necessary. That thing that was like... It was, was necessary. So chilling, like... You know, it's like... like I almost thought when he said it was necessary, it was... I thought there was going to be some connection to, again, the actions of her father, mm. and that it was some form of revenge, whether he be a family member, survivor, yeah. something that would do that. But it's not that kind of film. It's not a neat film no. where everything's connected and related. It was because it, because it, it it turns out sorry that that is that sentiment is correct, but for the mother's boyfriend. Yeah. So he, he you know the, the ulterior motive of referring it back to the that necessary line obviously leads you to believe that and like oh okay he's got some other yeah. thing. But it's the it's the boyfriend the sort of fake uh, you know um, a boyfriend of uh, Ralph, the mother. I think his name yeah. was wasn't it? Yeah. Um, that that's that's exactly his his motivation. It's uh, it's pretty awesome. Do you uh, do you know about the recent the um, uh, the sort of French film a portion of the French film industry's reaction to the Me Too movement? No. So basically, um, there's a uh, the French version of the Me Too movement is um, I won't say the French version of it. I can't pronounce. Like what it's a it's a it's um squeal on your pig the French version of of that and it's like the, nice. the version of uh, of uh, females coming forward and 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 making their feelings known. And there was a letter, open letter written by uh, Catherine Deneuve, um, basically coming out against the movement and saying, well, what we don't want is an environment where men feel that they can't approach women, that they can't, you know, flirt with women, even clumsily, that just like all we want is there to be a semblance of, you know, reality about, you know, obviously, 
going over the line is going over the line but you know to not go too far the other way mm -hmm. you know not to feel like you know men can't approach women anymore and it was skewed by the media that it was critical of the me too movement when it wasn't at all and it was actually uh, um, Isabel uh, Huppert that uh, came out in the, in the press and went look I don't agree with the open letter but Come on, everyone! You know, almost in an L-like fashion, just yeah, sort yeah. of gave everyone a slap across the face. And was like, <laughs> look, you can disagree with movement, but it doesn't mean that you disagree with the entire. You know, you can the entire sentiment of, yeah, yeah, yeah. of it. Like she almost like as a <laughs> as a DVD extra of the movie L, like appeared in the press, cool <laughs> as in L, character, and suddenly it was just like, look, <laughs> you know, this is it's not as simple as as that. You know, it's um. Which I thought was pretty cool. I do wonder about the title because L is a, it's just she. Mm. She. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a very suitable title. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's 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 her film through yeah. and through. Like, everyone in it is peripheral. Mm. Uh, I've, I've seen a few films where it's, it's so rigidly focused on this one, but she's so fucking magnetic mm. and powerful and... But flawed... Yeah, because sometimes I thought she was doing things because she had a plan. Yeah, that this was all part of some you know wider machination that she was mm. leading it all into a trap or something. And then it was like, no, no, she's but isn't it fantastic? She still, yeah, she still finds something. I mean, she's you know masturbating at the window, still spying on the neighbor. And then when it turns out he's attracted to her, but only if he can do rape mm. fantasy. That's that's why she has this internal debate, yeah, and so complex. But it's never externalized like that. It, it, only at the end, when you see that she's had the revelation, you know, the sort of mm. the epiphany, as you say, the realization that this is fucking twisted. None of this is right. I should be reporting it. And I think, and I, and I think that's why there would be controversy attributed to this because any film where somebody is raped and resists but ultimately enjoys it um i'm trying to remember what other film that happens in with straw dogs as straw right? dogs yeah, that's the, the um, one straw dogs um i was i was, I was going to bring it i was bringing on to that because that's all, you know and where i disagree with you in that is that the actual act of of rape in in the movie that she there was no, never any question that she was enjoying that bit no it was the it was the other parts of you know the you know, the mixing and the insanity of the idea that I'm talking to this guy that I know has tried to rape me. Those bits, obviously, she has some kind of participation in, but the act itself is never in question. I really watched Not out the third that. time. You know, you know, the, no, I just still don't think so. I still think she, cause that, she, like, she, that part of it, she, you know, she obviously knew that by antagonising him, it, you know, in the car and saying that she's going to shop him, it was going to lead to some... So not that time, I meant that in the basement... When it happens in the basement. No, I still think, I still don't, I still she, don't she, think that it was, uh, you know, so do you she think, knew that it was, you know, that something was going to happen to that extent, but I still believe that she didn't think it was going to happen that way. And again, she was not, you know, she did not give, you know, the consent of that, of that situation, you know, when it was, she was still saying, no, she was still fighting him off. In, no, no, in, no. She fought. She fought him off because he said that was all. That was the only way he could get off. He was said, not like this. No, because because that's when she realised that appearing to enjoy it actually stops him. She so was using it as a mechanism to stop it happening. Yeah, 
So like she, she's never wants that bit of it to happen. Whereas Straw Dogs, which is a that's great why example, she hits him. But that's why she hits him. And then yeah. when he finishes, because he's so quick, mm. she then masturbates herself to climax directly after it as well yeah. in the basement. He's like, oh shit, okay. And that's when I think shortly after that at the party, all that, the epiphany hits. He's like, this is fucking twisted because she kind of does want to have sex with him, and then realizes that that's the only way that that could ever happen kind of tries it in a way because there's I no I think it's super dense I think there's no other like, reason that, think, there's no other reason she would accept that think. invite to the basement at all I don't think and then when she's actually tried it in a in a way where she's complicit decides nah this is this is actually f- properly fucked up and even by her standards, by everything she's experienced in her life, she's mm. like, "Now nah, this guy is a fucking wrong and mm. proper." My reading of it is that she, in the, in those moments, is not is trying to stop it and not give him what he wants, and she realizes that fighting is what he wants. So she starts, you know, the idea, this idea of participation, and it kind of disgusts him. You know, so it's like yeah. the, even the the idea of, of masturbation afterwards, he disgusted by that that's like her version of you know not make things not going the way he wants you know true, the only true, thing yeah. that she can do in that in that moment is to hurt him or to or to say no yeah, that's a good to, point you know, actually to by going haha actually i'm having yeah. i'm gonna because i know on. this isn't what you want and you you know and so now we both haven't got what you know mm. kind of it's it's really complex it's awesome it's certainly subject. the kind of situation i find myself in regularly I mean, I'd, I'd often find that's the case with these adult films. I watch them and go, "Who are these people? Yeah, who who are these?" It's the, you watch these films. It's very rarely about the working class. Working class people don't have these the luxury of mm. having these complex lives. This is a very sort of what we see across this film is are people with very decadent existences, yeah. um, all sort of doing something to alleviate their boredom mm. bankers game developer owners yeah. you know writers whatever else just filling their fucking, people do yoga. fucking like people do bikram yoga <laughs> filling their lives with these sort of adult inverted comma mm. pursuits when actually it's all just weird game playing and mind games and Using using your body as a as a tool or a weapon yeah. in in those in those mind games and, and wars, and, and I guess that's why it's a mind for me in terms of Paul Verhoeven. It's one where I think the intellectual aspects of it actually override the the exploitative aspects of it. Before I think when you step away from um, pre Showgirls Verhoeven, mm. you tend to walk away from his films and go. I remember when Robocop shot the guy in the balls. Yeah. Rather than oh, did you see the underlying message about him being Jesus and you know the the downfall of American industry yeah. and things like you know th- that it predicted that. Whereas with that, I I walk away not thinking necessarily about the, the scenes of violence, the mm. scenes of sexual violence, the the you know the scenes of eroticism. I, I'd come away from it mainly thinking about Isabel Huppert's performance yeah. throughout the entire film. And I walk away from it thinking about the number of lines that just made me laugh yeah. in spite of everything that was occurring on screen. And I think it's a, I think it's an absolute success in that regard. But anyway, very heavy themes, and I'm sort of really interested to to, to hear what 
something you guys kind of thought of it. Yeah, that's a um, and, big first uh, film. But um, I think uh, moving on to our rating uh, system, moving on, I think a thumbs up. I think I definitely, yeah. I think very careful of the frame of mind in which you're watching it. It's not Kef- a party the frame of mind film, and, you know. And know, know your audience, read the room. Yeah. Uh, you, you've got to be of a certain mindset to, to find what you're watching funny. Uh, I mean, you know, fundamentally, it's not a funny film. It's a challenging film. It asks a lot of questions. Super challenging. Uh, but it, it, it is it is just brilliantly blackly comic throughout mm. with an absolutely fucking spellbinding central performance. I, I loved it, absolutely loved it. And as per your earlier 90-minute rule thing, when it was... We took a break around the hour mark, didn't we? And I was like, well, there's an hour 18 left. And then I thought the final half of it like barreled along absolutely when it finished right. I was like oh it's done yeah okay yeah I don't think it necessarily dragged I think it earned its time mm. I think it did a very very good job of establishing all the support characters you know a lot of credit should go to them as well mm. I did read up a little bit just after watching the film on Patrick mm. banker rapist yes um, he's actually quite a big deal in the uh, French acting wow. scene cool. in terms of uh his his theatrical work, he's adapted English plays into into French and all sorts. You know, I think for a lot of people, I think especially in France, mm. I think there was a very deliberate effort to get someone of his caliber yeah. to play that for character. That character. Yeah. So I can imagine when that was playing to French audiences, that his reveal would have been a real fucking yeah bigger shock. Yeah, I would imagine a few mon dieu yeah. when when that happened in because in... he because he gets re revealed. Yeah. Right at the end, when he puts the balaclava back on, and they go to the paint of you know in his very last moment of his very you know his death you know is is impending, he pulls again the the hood off yeah. you know for us to see you know but we kind of don't see him only Al uh, and the um, uh, Vincent Andy, yeah. um, get to see it at the end. It's yeah. such a cool cool moment, cool ending. But I love the first time that he does it. He does it in a sort of complacent walk out of the room way. Mm. And in the second time, he's got a massive fucking wound on the back yeah. of his head. And his last word is, why? He's like, I, it's almost like, that. that's a loaded why. Like, yeah. I thought I thought you were into this. I thought mm. this was our thing now. Yeah. I thought this was what was going on. Yeah, yeah. And she's just like, wrong. <laughs> no. You get a log to the back of the head. That's what happens when you fuck with me. Fantastic. I hope everyone really enjoyed it. I kind of, you know, I'm really enjoying the aspect of if we've kind of made someone think about watching it. You know, yeah. sort of for this, I really like the idea of that. It's kind of unexpected. I didn't really think about that, but yeah, cool. No, no, of course you will. I mean, that's yeah. that's it. I mean, some people might not be many, but someone's inevitably going to tune in and go, I, "I, I care not for having the plot ruined for me. Mm. I just want to know what they think and whether yeah. that's going to influence my decision to watch it." So, yeah. so uh, changing attack, I thought we'd move on to another Oscar style discussion this was an oscar nominated film uh and yes um, didn't win still uh uh um very worthy of, of the nomination now um this year with the nominations uh won't go into them too much maybe we'll touch on it maybe if we do an episode around when we know who wins yeah because uh, yeah. it's sort of a sl- quite an open year and going through everyone it might be a bit boring but you can go to the uh oscar.go.com and you can see all the nominations. Pretty interesting. About um, I think it's 
Best Actress this year, I think, is going to be the most interesting one. Okay. There's quite a lot of, like, it, almost everyone could win it in, in another mm-hmm, year. Mm-hmm. Sort of quite amazing, powerful performances, and, and supposedly. Right. Which brings on to another point, kind of the thing that I kind of don't like about the Oscars is that so many of the films, you know, we haven't seen yet. <laughs> like, over here, we hear about the nominations for The Phantom Thread, and at the time yes. of the recording, it's only just come out today. It's almost three billboards of, only what a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and uh, coloured a view of the shape of water. Mm-hmm. There's another one, uh, Lady Bird. Another one's not out yet. Really want to see those movies, you know. So I'm sort of quite interested. Um, and also the um, Jessica Chastain film that didn't get uh, nominated. The um, the chap that wrote the Social Network movie. Oh, the Aaron oh, Molly's game. Yeah, Molly's the game. The Aaron Sorkin one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it didn't get. Uh, nominated, which apparently is an incredible film, so uh, didn't make it in. I've heard it's but, a film with very strong performances, but Aaron Sorkin himself is not a born director. No, which he's not. No, he's not. But anyway, for this next section, if you could um, uh, uh, bring up something to make a note with on your on your computer, there is a quiz uh, that they put on. I've copied down all the questions to the quiz and haven't looked at the answers, but we do have the answers. Okay, shall we try and give it a go? Sure. Yeah. Unexpected okay. bonus quiz. Yeah, bonus quiz. Number one, for which comedy did Tom Hanks receive his first Oscar nomination? Was it A League of Their Own, Sleepless in Seattle, Splash, or Big? It says Oscar nomination. Oscar nomination, his first one. Ooh. I would say Big. And you are correct. Thank you. You are correct. Uh... The uh, number two, which Oscar host said Jack Palance just bungee jumped off the Hollywood sign? Famously, is it Steve Martin, Billy Crystal, Ellen DeGeneres, or Chris Rock? Was a Billy Crystal? Is a Billy Crystal as well? That's two. Well done. Uh, three. Um, all of these stars won an acting Oscar in 2017, except. Emma Stone, Ryan Gosling, Viola Davis, or Mahershala Ali? Uh, I believe Mahershala Ali definitely won for yeah, that's right. uh, Moonlight. I do know this one. It's the... Uh, it's Gosling, isn't it? It's the Gos. Yeah, it's the Gos, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Three. Three for three. Mm. Uh, four. For which movie did Morgan Freeman receive his very first Oscar nomination? Is it The Shawshank Redemption, Driving Miss Daisy, Million Dollar Baby, or Street Smart? Um, let's say Driving Miss Daisy. Driving Miss Daisy. I know that one best film. I don't know if it also... Street Smart. Oh, right. I've never even heard of Street Smart. <sighs> no, me neither. Uh, Sigourney Weaver won, got an Oscar nomination in 1989 for Gorilla's in the Mist. But yep. what other film? Ah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Is it Working Girl, Ghostbusters, The Ice Storm, or The Year of Living Dangerously? Ooh. And I think this one is Working Girl. One of my secret really like that film. <laughs> the Ice Storm is a very good film. Um, although The Year of Living Dangerously is such a rank outsider, I'm going to say that. Say again, which one? Year of Living Dangerously. It is Working Girl. No way. I was right on that one. Yeah, best supporting. Interesting. Uh, okay. 
costume designer Lizzie Gardner made headlines at the 67th Academy Awards with a dress made of what? Was it post-it notes, American Express cards, Nestle Crunch wrappers or (laughs) Starbucks coffee lids? I think it's American Express cards. It is American Express cards. You're doing very well in this. Thank you. Um... What is the only film based on a TV series to get a Best Picture nomination? Mm-hmm. The Untouchables, Star Trek, The Muppet Movie, or <laughs> The Fugitive? Well, it's, well, an Oscar in, of any description, as in like an actor, or is it like the film itself? I guess. What is the only film based on a TV, TV series. series to get a Best Picture nomination. A best picture nomination. Mm. Oh, in that case, I'm going to say uh, the Untouchables. Oh, hang on. What was the fourth one? The Fugitive. I want to say the Untouchables. It was the Fugitive. No, never mind. The Fugitive got a best picture nomination. Best picture nomination. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Slow year. Different times, man. Okay. Um. Dragnet should have got a Oscar nomination. Um, which Oscar-winning director once purchased a rosebud, the sled from Citizen mm. Kane? Was it Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, Clint Eastwood, or Warren Beatty? Ooh. I'm starting to crap out now, aren't I? I don't know. Um, who would have bought rosebud? I do know this one. You do can you? tell my thing. It is, it's the Spielberg. Uh, Spielberg bought rosebud. Spielberg <laughs> bought rosebud. Spielborg. Um, Oscar winner Marissa Tomei, my cousin Vinnie character, was an expert Aunt May. witness. Aunt May was an expert witness in what area? Books, insects, automobiles, or grits? I have not seen my cousin. Vinnie, oh, what in so the film is yeah, she an expert witness on? Film. What are the choices? Um, it was. Is one of them was grits? Grits, yeah. That's <laughs> it's books, insects, automobiles, and grits. Uh, books. It was automobiles a bit sure. When Adrian Brody won the Oscar, yep. who received an impromptu on stage smooch? Uma Thurman, Nicole Kidman, Halle Berry or Sharon Stone? Halle Berry, I think. It's Halle Berry. Excellent. Which Oscar winner said greed, for lack of a better word, is good? During his memorable performance, Joe Pesci in Goodfellas, Michael Douglas in Wall Street, Kevin Spacey in The Usual Suspect, or Cuba Gooding Jr. in Jerry Maguire. So you greed? Greed, for lack of a better word, is good. That's Gordon Gecko, isn't it? It's is Gordon Gecko, absolutely. <laughs> Not Michael Douglas. It's was funny because I don't remember for the for want of a better word, so I thought that might have been a trick question yeah, yeah. where Cuba Gooding Jr. had yeah, said yeah, it during the yeah. show me the money scene or something. Yeah, but no. We're doing very well. You, you didn't think you were going to do very well with these. Right, you did very six. Um, which Best Picture winner features the line, I could have been a contender? Rocky, West Side Story, Chariots of Fire, or On the, the Waterfront? It's on the Waterfront. It is on the Waterfront. <laughs> Nearly done. Um, which Oscar-winning flick spawned a long-running TV series? Was it The Apartment, In the Heat of the Night, The French Connection, or Around the World in 80 Days? What was the second one? 
in the heat of the night. Definitely not the apartment. Is it not? No. It's um Is it it must be in the heat of the night then. Yeah, it's in the heat of the night. Well done. Yeah. I didn't know that one. I just knew it wasn't the apartment. Uh, who attended the 1956 Academy Awards less than a month before becoming a princess? <laughs> Doris Day, Natalie Wood, Grace Kelly, or Audrey Hepburn? Before becoming a princess? Yeah, it's got to be Grace Kelly, right? She's a princess of Monaco. Sure. Yeah, what's well, Grace Kelly? I accept that as the right answer on my side then. What? We're a I, team. We're a team. Oh, we're, a team. Okay. we're a team. I have, honestly have not looked at these. I've not looked at these. Cool. Okay. A lot of them I haven't got right. Uh, what best describes Paul Newman's Oscar-winning role in The Colour of Money? Race car driver. No. Alcoholic lawyer. No. Bank robber. No. Or pool shark. Yes. Yes. That's right. Last one. <laughs> David Niven. Yes. Is that it? Is that the question? David Niven. That's it. <laughs> What's your answer? <laughs> David Niven described the 1974 Oscar streaker as a man who was doing what? Showing his shortcomings, hanging out in Hollywood, gearing up for the after party, or auditioning for Hair 2. <laughs> a. Showing off his shortcomings. Absolutely right. Finishing on a high. Wonderful. What do we get? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Nine, ten, eleven, I believe. Out of how many? Was that fifteen? Eleven. Eleven. We did eighteen. Yeah, there's one that's a video in this, sorry, that, that oh, we're not gonna watch the that's video. That's not very good for the listeners. Uh, I don't know if the rest was to be honest, listeners. but there you go. Yeah. And um Oh wait, wait, wait. Um uh there is one we didn't do for for the final. So it's nine out of nineteen it will be oh. in the end. Uh which film beat out The Wizard of Oz for Best Picture of nineteen thirty nine? Is it Mr. Smith Goes to Washington? Gone with the Wind, Stagecoach, or Wuthering Heights. Gone with the Wind. Absolutely correct. I'm really, really glad I got that extra point, Alex. Yeah, so, just so just so, <laughs> yeah. fair, just so fair. Just for um, completionism's sake. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's it. That's the end of our quiz. That's the end of our quiz. Sorry, a bit of a curveball for you there. I thought you'd quite like the, uh, Yeah, you I, did was very like, well. I was like some trivia. Very well, a little bit of trivia. And uh, yeah, I suppose that uh, you know will bring us to to saying thank you to everyone. Yeah, I was going to say one more thing. Um, do you have any recommendations beyond films? So anything you may have seen on Netflix or Amazon that people might just not have watched? Or oh, I do, I do, I really do. Go I'm on, really, really enjoying two things at the moment. My wife name one, I, save I one for the next one episode. Is is uh, comedians in cars getting coffee? Yeah, good series. Yes. Really, really amazing. Sort of uh, good to see. I've only watched the Jim Carrey episode, but oh, have you? That. Oh, yeah. there's so many good ones. Like it's it's one of those shows where you're compelled to go for the ones that you know who's yes. interviewing. But in this case, Seinfeld gets incredible. Like gold out of almost everyone, I and they're really I short episodes. As well. Yeah, I, I just think it's overly edited. It yeah, well, he does it himself, doesn't he? Like he does directs it and writes and does it. Yeah, yeah, and he really goes yeah. because obviously a lot of it is also about the cars that he drives yeah. in as well. And there are scenes where like he's literally getting into a car and it's like seventeen shots. Yeah, just showing him getting into the yeah. car. It's like man, get to the point. But some of it's the joke though, isn't it? Because it's not it doesn't do it every episode. No, so, like you know, so it's kind of um, second. Nomination, I'm going to do two, is Easy. 
is an anthology series uh, um, set in Chicago um, and really good. Got um, Dave Franco in it. Yeah. Aubrey Plaza, really good. Highly recommended. Okay. Awesome. Try that. And you? Um, I've got a bunch. I was sick recently, so I just just sat and watched a whole bunch of shit on Netflix and Amazon. Um, because I'm not going to get that opportunity very often. I'm going to I'm going to spread them out across yeah. the across the episodes. Uh, so, but the one I'm going to highlight today is an anime series called Devilman Crybaby. Um, I used to be hugely into anime in my early teens, and I've really sort of fizzled out of it. I'm not I'm not a big fan of what they call the shonen anime that you get mm. these days: Naruto, Dragon Ball, yeah. One Piece, those kind of ones. Um. But this drew me in because I have memories of Devilman because that was sort of, you know, around the 90s when they were just sort of releasing all these like extreme yeah, yeah. anime, sex and violence anime. And Devilman was one of them and it's created by a guy called Go Nagai. And this is basically a revisitation of the original Devilman story, which mm. back in the, when it was a manga was really pretty fucking bleak. Mm. What they've got is the guy who directed a, a, a bunch of anime, one called Mind Game. He's got a very sort of particular style. He draws in, I guess, ostensibly it's a very simplistic style, mm. very low on detail, right. but very high on kinesis. Okay, cool. So it's crazy movements, really exaggerated, bendy bodies, just mm-hmm. just does a very good job of of adding movement and and uh, and crazy elements of psychedelia to his work. And it turns out he's sort of a perfect marriage for this story of a guy who, through a fairly alarming process, is fused with a demon, uh, as a lot of people are in this world at the time. <laughs> but it turns out a lot of the time the demons are fully overriding the people and right. the people no longer have any control over it. Whereas yeah. because he's sort of pure at heart, can manage the two sides. Okay, that sounds cool. So he fights the demons while sort of mm. you know trying to fight this this other instinct that's that's within him. And it starts off quite wacky. It's, it's a very uneasy combination of like high gore, high sex and sort of wacky teen mm. anime humor. But it it escalates in such a way and I don't know if it was because I had the flu or whatever <laughs> else, but by the end I was just left absolutely devastated yeah. by it. Like it's there are no happy endings in Devilman. Yeah. I'll warn you right now. Don't go into this thing expecting any sort of cheery yeah, outcome. There are, suggestions there are two or three scenes in Devilman Crybaby that are forever etched on my brain because they are just horrendous. Mm. Um, so, yeah, watch it. It's great. <laughs> party, party. Party. Uh, it, no, it, it, it is. It's, it's something else. It, it's something different. I won't say that it's not necessarily the most coherent show in the world or anything mm. like that. It does barrel along. I think it tries to squeeze a lot of story into not enough episodes. Mm. And trust me, I don't think this is a series that's going to have a second series. Right. Which will become obvious when you watch it. Um, but it's it's it's. I can't believe Netflix funded it, to be honest. Yeah. Because it's fucking out there. Awesome, cool, and that's uh, one. The title once more, uh, Devil Man Cry Baby. Devil Man Cry Baby, and I have suggested comedians and cars getting coffee and a show called Easy. Easy. Um, well, Dan, thank you very much. It's I all right. I had a lot of fun. So did I. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, um, I enjoyed I talking to Captain Phasma's head. Um, the um, <laughs> referring to our beautiful podcast Chrome, Chrome, Chrome microphones. Uh, microphones. The next film. Now, 
in lieu of another suggestion i've got two kind of in the in the uh, in the ether to to think about okay i thought maybe uh, good times the um the movie with the um vampire guy from twilight oh yeah in it uh, supposed to be very good what, robert um, passington yeah Okay. Um, and uh, supposed to be very good, very gritty, and uh, had really good rave reviews across the board. Okay. And uh, a personal shopper. Ah, yes, Christian Stewart. Christian Stewart. So I kind of kept the, uh, the case thread going through. Uh, so I thought quite interesting to look at, you know, these people and they do okay. these massive movies and what, you know, their credibility, indie credibility, obviously. I'm, um, I'm very game to watch yeah, either of those, to be honest. Yeah. So uh, let us know what you think. Have a look. Have a um, sort of look them up. See what kind of one you think might work for the next one. Even if that's all you, you, the interaction that you that you give, or we would love more. Yeah, um, just, but yeah, maybe suggest um, either good times or or personal or shopper. personal shopper. Um, yeah, don't forget that you can do that by messaging either myself or Alex or both of us uh, at Mister Pointyhead or at Alex 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 without the E. So Alex Alex Alex. Perfect. Is the way to do it. Uh, yeah, get in touch. Um, it'd be great to still hear your feedback on L after watching this. We might sort of read some out some of your comments out at the start of the show. But um, yeah, let's 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 first pick a film from Good Times or Personal Shopper, um, and then once we've chosen one, we'll we'll post to make that official, and then you can uh, let forth with a torrent of opinion and inquisition. Fantastic. Well, Dan, thank you very much. And, uh, my pleasure. Hi. Um, it's been my, fun to my talk. My name is Alex, and uh, you have just listened to and read the first episode of Required Reading. Thank you very much. Bye.